Hi, folks. Welcome along to another episode of my weekly podcast, Soundtracking with Edith Bowman. Hope you had a great weekend. Uh, I'm recording this on Monday morning, so uh, I've just come back from a very, very busy week uh, where I've been away from home for most of it. So it was lovely to have the weekend to kind of reconnect and just start really settling down and getting in the Christmas spirit. One of the last things that I did before I got home was our final Soundtrack and Everyman event of the year, which was a preview of Priscilla, followed by a Q&A with Sofia Coppola. It was extraordinary to finish the year with the event because this was really the person and the film that I wanted to try and make sure that we got in the bag because uh, it was something that started the whole conversation about wanting to start the film club anyway, because I'm a big fan of Sophia and I really wanted to get the opportunity to show the film and speak to her. So huge thanks to everyone at Mubi and Sophia's team for making it happen. We really appreciate it and we're very excited to share that conversation with you. Uh, the very first new episode of 2024 ahead of the release of Priscilla. So that is on the way. Also, massive shout out to Amy and Darcy, uh, Everyman and Maggie as well, just for getting our little project off the ground. And we're very excited about where we take it next year. So watch this space. Uh, it's been a great way to finish off 2023 with the podcast as well. And also with the guests that we've had as well. And today, ah, oh, I'm so excited because it's a Wonka special. Uh, we're joined by writer-director Paul King, songwriter Neil Hannon and composer Joby Talbot, who joined me to discuss their origin story of the eccentric chocolate maker, who is brilliantly played by Timothy Chalamet. When he appears on screen, you just go, yeah, it's like putting on your favourite pair of slippers and sitting in front of the fire, watching the thing that makes you feel the best in the world. That's the way for me to describe this film. I loved everything about it. It's a beautiful, all singing, all dancing spectacular, but it's not a musical in the kind of traditional sense of the word, because yes, there are songs in it, there are dance routines and stuff, but there's something about the way that it's been crafted and created that it isn't kind of too in your face. It just works, and the ratio is just fantastic and it's got all the characteristic charm of Paul's work and we'll be discussing the film and Neil's music shortly before we hear separately from Joby. But for something that might interest you if you are a creative in the world of film and music, I'm talking about BMG PM, BMG Production Music, which is part of BMG, one of the world's largest music companies. BMG Production Music is a premium music catalogue for music supervisors, editors and other creatives in the industry. They have some incredibly talented award-winning TV and film composers in their catalogue, as well as a bespoke service where they offer every genre of music imaginable with easy-to-use tools to find the perfect track. It's all available on their brand new website, which has AI tools and intuitive search. Intrigued? I am. Interested? I definitely am. Then head to bmgproductionmusic.com. That's bmgproductionmusic.com. Elevate your project with premium quality music made from media with BMGPM, your trusted global music partner who believe in the power of production music and passionately champion the music all around us. And so to Paul King and Neil Hannan. As I mentioned, Neil was charged with writing the original songs to the film, including this one. 
Hatful of Dreams. Got a tattered overcoat and battered suitcase. Got a pair of leaky boots upon my feet. Gotta drug myself up by my one good boot lace. Gotta work my rotten socks off if I want to make ends meet. I've poured everything I've gotten to my chocolate. Now it's time to show the world my recipes. I've got 12 silver sovereigns in my pocket and a half full of dreams. Hi, Neil. Hi, Paul. Hello. How Hi, are Edith. you? I'm well. Paul looks a little <laughs> sort of uh, wan. <laughs> <laughs> this is how to put me at my ease. Oh, bless you. Listen, thank you so much for your time today. I'm just gutted I couldn't be there in person to um, to congratulate you both on just the most beautiful experience watching your film. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for my small bit. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> small you say small. That's not small true bit. at all. Half no. an hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very important part of the narrative. I mean, I guess I was lucky enough, actually, Neil, I saw you very briefly down at Abbey Road where I was lucky enough to come down and watch a couple of hours of the, the score being recorded, which was joyous and kind of felt like I'd been allowed in a giant chocolate shop in a way um, for the feeling that I had been down there. But um, Paul, can I go back just because we were lucky enough to have a little chat when we did the, um, we unveiled the trailer, which in itself was kind of a huge celebration of what was to come. But I just want to start by saying thank you, because as someone who's had the absolute joy of watching your previous films over and over and over again and uh, we just get so much pleasure from the worlds that you create and with this one as well I was allowed to bring my two boys along to the screening of it and we just came out they wrote reviews which they sent to Warners they were just overjoyed with the experience so I just wanted to say thank you for what you've kind of given us as filmmakers and they you know just bring people together with what you do so thank you well thank you very much I'm, I'm blushing I'm he no, I'm no longer w one. <laughs> right, let's get into the I'm film red. then. Let's get into it because we've not got loads of time. But I'm, I'm going to chat to Joby as well um, next week, which I'm really looking forward to talking about the score side Great. of things. But, but, but Paul, what I, I know that Dahl's been a huge influence on you and an inspiration of you as a child. You know, stories and characters and worlds that he's allowed you to escape to. What was your first instinct when this was? And how was it? Was it presented to you? Did you? How how did how did Willie come to you with this project? Well, um, I, I was sort of finishing Paddington too, and I, I think uh, we were in our sort of last, very very last session, and um, I sort of jokingly said to David Heyman, the producer, that uh, we should find something else to do. Not not entirely jokingly, I was fishing for work, and he uh, <laughs> he, he he sort of said, "Oh, well, as a matter of fact, I do have an idea. I've just got two words, young Wonka," and uh, I went, "Ooh, that sounds interesting," and uh, the uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a book I I loved as a child. I had this sort of early 1980s paperback edition which some people might remember and uh not my personal copy but the edition and uh i sort of uh, it was the first rolled up book i read and it's one of the first books i sort of proper the uh, grown-up children's books that i read to myself and i sort of read it again and again till the pages fell out of the spine and and i just loved it and i i, I sort of remembered the kind of the wild comedy and the kind of uh, crazy chocolate factory and willy and the oompa Loompas, of course and then i went back and read it again as a grown-up and and what I'd forgotten about it was the kind of deep emotional 
spine that the book has and uh, that's given by Charlie in, in, in the book and how he's this sort of almost Dickensian sort of suffering child. And one of the early chapters is called The Family Begin to Starve. And, and it, it's really quite uh, an astonishing mixture of, of styles. He's got this mm. sort of, kind of crazy anarchic humour and uh, this really sort of heartfelt emotion. And it made me realise that was the sort of thing I've been trying to do in, in in sort of pretty much everything I've done, and certainly in the Paddington films, was to mix sort of comedy and larger-than-life grotesque characters with something which is hopefully touching and, and emotional. And uh, then I thought, oh, maybe maybe I, I, I might be able to do something that sits in this world. And with regards to what that story would be, did you dive into his archive in a way to kind of, you know, because there's this beautiful connection to to this story you know my my 10 year old goes back to again and again and again and kind of almost finds something different every time he reads it and also that idea though that with the film with the the 70s film I genuinely felt like there was an there was a beautiful connection with the way that Timothy played Willie in this that is connective tissue to Gene Wilder absolutely you can feel the kind of the joyous magical kind of mischief that's in there sort of thing the wonderment but for you going back to working out what that story was going to be with Simon as well did you dive into his to Dal's archive to I don't know find little stepping stones in a way there's an amazing archive of, of pretty much every piece of paper that Roald Dahl seemed to have ever scribbled on and um, wow. uh, we were r- really lucky enough to sort of spend a little bit of time there and, and sort of be guided towards the the Willy Wonka materials by the brilliant and incredibly knowledgeable people there. And, and, and the story was developed as well with the, the Dahl family estate. So Luke Kelly, one of our, our, our producers, was, is, is uh, Roald Dahl's grandson. So for, for him, it's deeply personal oh, wow. uh, not to mess it up. And uh, we just felt very blessed. This is the f- sort of first thing they've ever authorised outside the sort of the canon of his books. And and um, Willy Wonka is a character that Dahl sort of came to again and again. And so it's the only book he wrote a sequel to. And he wrote other stories. And, and there are stories within the books and sort of other little scraps of ideas that he had. And it was clearly a character he felt could exist in other in other forms and, and other times. And Grandpa yeah. Joe tells these stories of Willy Wonka's past and they always sort of seem slightly apocryphal or, or, or impossible. And then, of course, you assume because it's Willy Wonka, they turn out to be true. Uh, and, and so that, that sort of felt like it gave us license to explore Willy Wonka at another time of his life. For me, as making the film, I really wanted to, it, it to exist as a sort of companion piece to the 1971 movie because that mm. was something I grew up with. And uh, which ages me, I'm afraid. And uh, uh, it's a number. Uh, it's just a number. Uh, <laughs> I'm not 71. I just, that, just to be clear, that was the year of the film. But uh, I'm, I'm late 60s, darling. The uh, it, it's uh, so um, so, and, and I didn't want to do anything that would sort of spoil that. So, which is why we used the sort of the same sort of iconography of the Oompa Loompas and the and some of the same music as well. And uh and you know there's there's little little Easter eggs in there, a little sort of hat offs mm. to that movie and some of the dialogue. But it's yours as well, you know what I mean? And I feel like almost like you're kind of the you've been handed the keys to the Dal City in a way, in terms of you've kind of, you know, there's complete ad- admiration and gratitude for what he's given the world, but you've taken it on and and kind of Paul kinged it 
that's that's a fair that way of describing awful. it. Oh, no, right. it I can, doesn't. I, I can only apologise <laughs> to Paul, Paul King. King I'm going to get Paul K- We had Roald Dahl and they Paul Kinged it. Oh, I love oh, it. God. It's like, it's like, it, but it, you are like the cinematic equivalent, to be honest, in terms of, I feel like in terms Paul of Paul Kinged the same it way. right into the top corner. <laughs> there we go. We have Paul Kinged it. it right over the, over, <laughs> over the crossbar, <laughs> into the cheap seats. Did you always know there was going to be songs in it when you were writing it? Was 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 the one and the the kind of dream that there would always be that element of music in it? Yes, because we wanted it to sort of exist alongside the the seventy one movie, which obviously is a musical, and and, mm-hmm. and music's really in the DNA of the book. He, he, even though it's obviously a book, so it doesn't have tunes attached to it. Uh, Dahl writes these sort of huge long poems and 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 that are presented as songs so it sort of felt very dull and very uh gene wilder and very charlie mm. and the chocolate factory and i think because the 71 movie has these extraordinary enduring songs it felt crazy not to use some of that as a springboard am i right in thinking that you and simon started writing lyrics to start well, off we, with we yeah, it, it turns out to be quite to. hard to, to write songs. But uh, <laughs> nah, when, <it's> easy. <laughs> when we did the first draft of the script, but there were moments where we knew that there would, where, where we felt that there should be a song. And uh, so rather than just go insert song here, we started trying to kind of write some, write some lyrics and uh, it, it, in the same way that Roald Dahl did, but, uh, but never with the expectation they would really be used. I mean, Neil... Having had the joy of chatting to you over the years for your fantastic work mm. and someone who's who definitely has a kind of visual presence with your songwriting in terms of the characters that you can see in your head and the situations that you can see in your head as you're you're listening to your music, what was the appeal for, to you for you know to be part of this and to take on this opportunity well, I think basically if if I had been asked to sort of sit down and write my dream job, you know, <laughs> I'd have probably come up with the, this, you know, like, uh, because I, I was, uh, I'm a, a similar age group to Paul and I grew up with the original film and loved it. And uh, the songs, you don't think about how much you love them when you're a kid. You, mm. They just exist and they're such a huge part of your life, especially like the Oompa Loompa song. It's just that's you just sing that in your sleep virtually <laughs> i've got a perfect puzzle for you if you are wise you'll listen to me what do you get when you guzzle down sweets eating as much as an elephant eats what are you at getting terribly fat what do you think will come of that? I don't like the look of it. Oompa, loompa, doompa dee da. If you're not greedy, you will go far. You will live in happiness too. Like the oompa, loompa, doompa dee doo. Doompa dee doo. And so to be asked to write songs to accompany uh, to live up to that you know to Anthony Newley and Leslie Brickus's original yeah. masterpieces 
it was quite a challenge. I did sort of breathe in sharply and go, oh, really? Can I do this? And then I said, yes, of course I can. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it was fantastic. Uh, I mean, not easy. We did a few songs many, many times until we got mm. them right. But uh, that's part of the, the job. And um, I, I enjoy writing songs. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, so, I think we can you know, tell. Having, having to... Uh, just do that for a living. It's not that bad. But they sit <laughs> so these new well. songs. Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, and these new songs just sit so brilliantly with those original moments that you have, whether it be the Oompa Loompa song that you mentioned or Pure Imagination, you know, and the way that that's been reworked at different times throughout throughout the film. And I mean, similarly, were you saying, you know, the Oompa Loompa song? Just hearing those almost first, you know, come with me and even the notes of those three words without the words, if that makes sense. It's almost kind of like someone holding your hand. It's got such a physical presence, that song. I didn't have. No, you're and so right. Yeah. The film almost kind of re reminds us of that, I think, as well. And it's But your song sits so brilliantly alongside, you know, all these, I guess, familiar moments that we have throughout this film as well. But it's that funny because... <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a sort of uh, wonderful uh, comfort in those three notes. Oh. It's like the bum bum, and that's the the tonic, so relative minor tonic, bum, oh, which is sixth, I think. And and it's uh, I don't know, maybe it's just nostalgia for when we heard it first, but uh, mm. it's a it's a beautiful melody. Yeah, and. Um, I love I love the way that Paul sort of uh, actually, you know, made it the first thing you hear of the film, you know. Timothy could sing, Paul, when you cast him. I mean, was that part of well, the audition process? Because, uh, I mean, there, there was no audition. Uh, I, I think when you... Uh, of course it was. <laughs> when, you, uh, when you're Timothy Chalamet, I, I, it was more a, a case of seduction and uh, trying to convince him to, uh, to, to, to do the movie because he's such an extraordinary talent. I did know he could sing because we live in this ridiculous century where a young man's high school musical performances can be found on YouTube and have been watched hundreds of thousands oh, wow. of times. So okay. uh, I, I was I was aware that he could sing once I started looking at him, but I didn't know he could sing from the movies. It was just from sort of digging a little deeper into the, the fandom. But of course he can. He can do anything. If you told me he could uh, fly, I'd cheerfully believe you. <laughs> he does in the film. What are you talking about? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, he sort of floats. Of course, yeah, levitation, constant <laughs> levitation. That's the state of mind of Timothy Chalamet or everybody around him, I'm assuming. He is, I mean, you know when you watch the watch film and you're going to go, well, there is nobody in this entire world, past, present, future, who could play 
this role like he has. He just is absolutely perfect. And I even love the moments. I can't remember what the song is. I think you, you never had a chocolate like like this, where there's even moments where he kind of slightly giggles at moments in the, in the performance. Jungle near Mumbai, there's a little hoverfly whose wings go at a thousand flaps a second, that's no lie. These microscopic fleas like chocolate more than leaves and when asked nicely, lay precisely one little egg in each of these. When it hatches from its shell, it gives a happy yell. Woohoo! How thrilling to be living in a chocolate hotel. It beats its wings with glee, and then as you will see, the chocolate will levitate and float most gracefully. You can just tell how much he's enjoying the experience of being this character and what he's brought to it. It's just phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it, it's there's very few actors in history who can just inhabit that central role and kind of he's like he's the epicenter of the entire sort of mm. uh, film. And there's a special thing that like you have complete faith in them. You know they're not going to put a foot wrong, so you can relax when you're watching them. And that's what Timmy's got. He's like kind of timeless as well. You know, there's kind of like there's Fred Astaire in there. There's kind of there's just there's almost like sort of six or seven generations of wonderful performances that we've watched over time in movies that are part of this performance in this film, which I think is so unique. He, he He's extraordinary. And obviously our, our Wonka's sort of long before the events of the Chocolate Factory. So he's, yeah. he's sort of, I, I know that he, he, he went and watched the, the, the Gene Wilder and the, the Johnny Depp movies, which I imagine he'd seen before, but he, he watched them again. And, but I think he sort of, took it all in and then and then created his own perfect thing and mm. i i think because you're so aware of those performances that i they sort of at the start of the process i was sort of uh, they they were in my head and then within a few minutes of him being wonka it was just you go oh there he is that's him <laughs> and it was it was really a case of like carving out what we could do with the character and where we could take it and and how to make that journey but it was never a sense of like oh we need a bit of gene wilder here or, or mm -hmm. you know a bit of yeah. a bit of johnny depp there it was it was just it's just timothy he's great and neil were you you know in terms of those songs fitting characters story that kind of thing as well were you privy to to I mean, I, I, they would have they have to be written beforehand because you have to record them, and there's two elements of pre-recording stuff, but also getting versions live on set and stuff. But were you privy to performance or his version of this in terms of certain songs that you were writing well, that were really focused? I knew from very early on that it was Timothy Chalamet, <laughs> and I was happy about this because I thought he was perfect. And I had actually seen he did he does sing a a standard in that um, Woody Allen film, mm. uh, so I knew he could sing, and that made mm. me very happy. Um, <laughs> as far as the uh, yeah, I was party to like the earliest scripts, mm. and so they did change as as we as I was writing, uh, but not so much that it was constantly destroying my work. Uh, I don't think so. No, it kind of had. The sort of generally the same pivots in the story, and I've forgotten what the question was now. Really, <laughs> no, it's just about whether how much performances weren't kind of happening whilst you, you know, had to write the songs way before that. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I had to use my imagination, but then I think Paul and I share a certain aesthetic. I like fifty stuff and slight sort of air of steampunk, and 
And obviously, I'd watched the Paddington films as well. <laughs> so the vibe I knew. And uh, yeah, I, I think we were also trying to, to channel the spirit of Neil. I mean, it was uh, Neil yeah. was our first and only choice to, to write songs. So I'm very pleased that he said yes. And uh, I think it, what he does is rare and unique that his songs have uh, that l they make you laugh and they make mm -hmm. you cry simultaneously. And that's yeah. always what I've tried to do in and stories. That's a good thing. Yeah. It, it, it is a good thing. <laughs> the cryings when they, they don't uh, work. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a brilliant, it's, it's a, I was trying to think about this because I, I just watched the trailer again before I, because I wanted to make sure I got that here we go, Mama, when he says that. And I wanted to check that I got the wording of that right because that's just such a gorgeous moment. But you make us do a certain type of cry and it's not a sad cry. It's a kind of longing cry. It's like, a, oh, I'm so happy. There are just, there's water gushing out of my eyes. It's just... <laughs> that's, uh, call a plumber. That's kind of it's, alarming. But it's I a suppose... beautiful feeling. No, it's the most beautiful <laughs> feeling. It's like you just kind of crave it in a weird way. I don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of the songs I write, which are particularly sort of uh, happy, sad, kind of beautifully melancholic, mm -hmm. uh, my wife can't stand. She hears them once, cries, and then will never listen to them again because <laughs> <laughs> she says they're, they're too much. How dare you do that to me? And I, I don't really feel like I'm doing it. I'm not trying to sort of manipulate people. I no, it doesn't literally, feel like it's it, genuine. I am, Place. It's it, well. It's a, it's genuinely the way I like sort of to envisage songs. I, I find people in situations the the sort of the most mundane stuff can be quite heroic. Yeah. And and so I sort of try and bring that out. You know, hmm. the sort of the everyday battle of existence. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, getting, Thank you for a um, little off piece. Is no, that no, the it's good. name of the next album? Quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll just write that down. Paul, as well, thank you for encouraging Hugh to be kind of silly and fun and continue his, you know, tippy toes was, uh, you know, I think <laughs> I feel should have gone higher up the charts for sure um, when Paddington <laughs> 2 came out. Um, but I just... I'm not what sure was the, it charted at all. Oh, well, it bloody should have. Yeah, the world uh, it's is being joyous. reflected very badly oh. in that fact. <laughs> but with, with that conversation, I, I loved hearing him talk about, uh, you know, kind of the conversation about him being an Oompa Loompa. And it's just amazing. Again, amazing casting. But when he knew he was going to have to sing, was that again? Was that kind of an easy conversation to have? Was he, did he grab it with with both slightly curmudgeonly old bastard hands? Was it kind of I, just like... I think he I, I, I think he must have known that from, from being an Oompa yeah. I mean, Hugh's My not job, a, a natural it? singer. I think he would be the first to admit it. But for some reason, I always want him to sing because he's so incredibly charming. And yeah. I think in this film, he does the most aggressive dancing in cinema history. I've never <laughs> seen angrier dancing captured on film than him doing the Oompa Loompa dance. Maybe because he resented having to do it so much. Oompa Loompa Doompa Dee Doo I've got a tragic tale for you Oompa Loompa Doompa Dee Dee If you are wise, you'll listen to me Yeah, Loompa Land is both luscious and green not conducive to growing the bean. My job was guarding what little we got. You came along and pinched the lot. Hey, why don't you say something? Well, perhaps I drifted off. Bumpa, lumpa, dumpa, day, day. 
When I awoke, they sent me away. I'm disgraced, cast out in the cold. Till I've paid my friends back a thousandfold. A thousandfold? You gotta be kidding me! I repeat, a thousandfold. He rather reminds oh. me of my little Jack Russell Colin <laughs> when he's kind of marching across the floor. Yeah. He's a scuttler. <laughs> oh, um, listen, we're running out of time. And I just wanted to quickly mention as well the, the fantastic choreography. You know, it's all these different beautiful parts and collaborations for this film that just make it the experience that it is. Christopher Gatelli, is that how you say his That's right, yes. Name? Um, just beautiful. Again, kind of encompasses so many wonderful kind of types of dancing in this as well. I just think it's feels really natural and real and beautiful. He He's fantastic. And, and I sort of discovered him or I, I came to know of his work uh, through the, he, he choreographed this incredible sequence in the Coen Brothers film, Hail Caesar, which is one of the funniest yeah. dances I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, because our film sort of set 25 years before the, the sort of 71 movie, as it were, it sort of takes mm-hmm. you neatly into the late 40s, which is purely coincidentally the sort of golden age of the Hollywood musical and it was really nice being able to sort of uh, doff our hats to some of those uh, great sequences great hats great (laughs) yeah and listen I'm being um, digitally wound up um, so I'm going to um, say goodbye but um, thank you so much for your time and as as Sally Hawkins said in the the production notes Paul makes everything better and you definitely do sir this film I can't wait to watch again it's just just fantastic congratulations to you both thanks for your time Thank you. Thanks, Edith. Sorry, Noodle. I guess I got carried away. Sorry, Noodle. I hope you'll forgive me one day. just wanted it to feel the way that it did when I was a kid. Sorry, Noodle. As performed perfectly by Timothy Chalamet, that's Sorry, Noodle. Rounding off this first part of our Wonka special with Paul King and Neil Hannon. Next up is composer Joby Talbot, who I caught up with separately to discuss the score. And we'll begin with his cue, Welcome to Scrubbits. Listen, congratulations on Wonka. It's, um, oh, I just think it's it's absolutely out of this world and phenomenal and made me feel. I said to Paul, I chatted to Paul and Neil, and yeah. I said, I cried like, you know, quite a few times in the film and it's kind of really specific crying. It's not sad crying and it's, it's happy cries, but it's a specific happy cry that you crave because <laughs> it makes you feel so good. I know what you mean. I mean, it's very rare to work on something, especially when it's been so intense and so long as this movie, and then find yourself tearing up at the premiere. 
you know and, and it is it's a lovely kind of very warm kind of feeling isn't it i mean that was always the idea i think paul you know wanted to make something that felt like a proper christmasy treat and properly emotional i think somehow or other it's all come together you know you really feel connected to these people you really want you want good things to happen to them and when they do you know it's like crying at a wedding isn't it it's that kind of crying yeah yeah you're happy for everybody yeah but when and where did the journey start on Wonka for you because we've talked about you loads on this podcast <laughs> with um, with Garth with Garth lovely yeah Garth, nice lovely Garth on planet oh. Earth and what a talent as well yeah so yeah I I mean I knew that I knew it was happening and I knew that Neil had written the songs and um, so people kept saying to me like are you going to be working on this and I was like oh, no one's no one's mentioned it to me and then I got the call to to go up and watch it and have a chat with Paul that was back in I think September of uh, last year i was very kind of clear that i thought it was very important that whoever wrote the score also did the arrangements on the songs mm-hmm. like on on sing i had really nothing very much to do with the songs um i just was i just in charge of the score and making you know like and making making it all work but, but on this i i thought it was really because the world is so sort of thematically sealed the world Absolutely. building is really strong and very specific and kind of subtle as well and if you start kind of like bringing stuff in that doesn't quite work with it, it's just going to derail the whole thing, break the spell. So I wanted to get, you know, my hands on on all the musical elements and really kind of pull them together. Um, the songs were in a place where I think they, some of them were really, the arrangements as, as I inherited them were not a million miles away from what we ended up with in the film. Some of them, we actually took took the songs on a really big journey. And, and I think A World of Your Own, the one where um, when he's opening the shop, there'd be kind of valedictory number in the yeah. middle of the film was in a sort of it was in a state where it was a very it was a very kind of mellow reminded me a bit of sort of in the mood or something it was a bit sort of had that sort of swing kind of mm-hmm. very felt like a very kind of pedestrian walking pace thing and it needed to be like a real sort of you know punch in the gut like well, hey here yeah, we go high kicking kind of, yeah yeah and it kind of wasn't that so uh neil who i haven't we're still friends and still in contact every once in a while but i hadn't worked with him since um i got him in to do uh, so long thanks for all the fish and hitchhike sky the galaxy which was back in like 95. So it's been a long time since we were last wow. working together. And then we sat down and we just started working. It was like no time had elapsed oh. whatsoever. And we were just like back into, you know, how we always were back in the days when I used to play with them every day. Divine comedy days. I mean, there was a couple of years there where I didn't even have anywhere to live because there was no point because we were on the tour bus all the time. So it was like <laughs> a big, a big part of my musical life. But yeah, so I came on board. We did, we, when we, the first thing we did was reinvent that song as a kind of statement of intent and then took it from there. Oh, that they that there's a, a an essence of that Gene Wilder film you know through through music but also mm-hmm. I think through Timothy's performance he definitely yeah. is kind of almost sort of pre-channeling what you know that because it's because it's before but he's definitely pulled back some Wilderisms I think in a way I think so the essence well, of him I mean it's such an amazing performance from for both of them really yeah I guess his version of Wonka is sort of nicer Though, I mean, I've been reading a lot of reviews and stuff, people talking about how, you know, the Gene Wilder version, he was, you know, 
sort of psychotic and you know enjoyed watching children being swept to their deaths on tides of chocolate etc but that's not how i remember him i remember his being so no, weird talk. and confusing but not horrible not at all. It was the kids who were horrible. Yeah, it's the kids. The kids. Yeah, it's the kids and the parents who were like absolute yeah. dicks and deserved everything that they got. Whereas, yeah, yeah, like, exactly, they, got they were lightly. Yeah, they were like, you know, they were in his world, and they weren't kind of, you know, they were they were stepping over the mark, and it was kind of like, guys, we told you, uh, and yeah, not it's so weird because I didn't see him that way at all. I found him kind of absolutely inspired and almost kind of like like a kind of. Um, a real filter in terms of finding good people. Yeah, you know? and I mean, it turns out that his being horrible was actually just a test to see whether Charlie was really the person he thought he was. It's very yeah. biblical, that, isn't it? You know, yeah. So you don't necessarily. I don't think you see any of that in Timothy Timothy Chalamet's no. performance. But then he's meant to be very young. You know, he's just you know, you know, what is he in his early twenties, and he's he's such a sort of kid at heart that he hasn't had, you know, he hasn't had the time to be kind of you know made more cynical. Yeah. But that, but the, but the way that that decision was made to pull, you know, come with me. As soon as you hear yeah. those three notes and those yeah. that, and 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 the Oompa Loompa song as well. Yeah. And just the beautiful, clever way that it's not overused, that it's so subtle at times, and the way that it's sprinkled in other things as well. And I don't know, is that a helpful thing, or does it make it more difficult in a way in terms of because you're creating everything else that's you know that's yours, and you've still got to create in and around that as well. Yeah. When we put, we were very keen to to pull all the music into under the same roof, and the Umpa Lumpa song was never really a problem because it it's not a million miles away from what Neil wrote with like Scrub Scrub, that kind of that sort of minor key, slightly klezmerish vamp. So that seemed to that seemed to sort of take care of itself. But yeah, pure imagination was trickier because you know the original arrangement on that on that tune from the from the 1971 movie is so weird i mean if you listen to it it is just beyond peculiar like the the ding dong ding bell thing at the beginning it's like in the wrong key it's not in the same it's not the same <laughs> speed it's got it, it, it and it's clearly like it's clearly like a chunk of audio they had because when it starts and then someone just chops it dead and you just hear, you just hear the edit blonk and then it starts up again it never is on the one with the incoming song it's just really strange. And then and then once the song sort of gets going, like the woodwind textures and stuff, they're so kind of weirdly um, you know, psychedelic and, mm -hmm. and yeah, just hallucinogenic. It's kind of crazy. Really beautiful. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look. And you'll see into your imagination We'll begin with a spin Traveling in the world of my creation What we'll see will defy explanation and then all the other versions I've heard of the song. I mean, I'm sure there's some great ones out there, but I haven't heard them. Most of the other ones, like, you know, you see like Anthony Newley singing it in his Christmas special and yeah. trying to turn it into a kind of, you know, rap pack kind of toe tapping number. It's, it just isn't that, you know, it just it loses what's beautiful about the original version. But we didn't want to just do like a takedown of the original version. We wanted to like drag it kicking and screaming into our world. So we have it at the very beginning, like scored for sort of tinkly bell-like instruments in this sort of very sort of deconstructed way. 
and then we have it at the end in, in Neil's version, which is like, you know, if talking heads were covering it, you know, that's what it would sound like. Again, kind of deconstructed and put back together again in a really interesting way. And then, yeah, and then just using it like very judiciously throughout the film to signify something. And the song becomes about Noodle's search for her long lost family and her mother. And it's very specifically that. And we only hear it when that is the important storyline. Mm. And then we hear it, little teases of it, like a couple of bars. I mean, this is obviously necessity being the mother of invention. Every time we use it, obviously Costa the production an absolute fortune <laughs> so we had to you had to like you had to use it in in places where you, you, yeah and like where it was this undeniable that it was the right thing to do because they just told me no you can't you can use it once at the end of the film and then suddenly it was at the beginning as well they're like okay we'll wear that but that's it and then you know put it on the on you know the bit where william noodle are really kind of letting down their guard for the first time she starts talking yeah. about her mother and then put it there and it was like all right, you can live there, but no other places. <laughs> I just put it, it's only there a few times, but yeah. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look, and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin. Traveling in the world of my creation What we'll see will defy explanation If you want to view paradise Simply look around and view it Anything you want to do it Want to change the world I love that so well. You try to hide it so no one finds it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of sort of, you know, kind of instrumentation as well, because what I love about it is that there is a real, there's a real mix of kind of sort of textures really to the to the score throughout the film. Uh, and, it, and, you, and it's not kind of one type of thing, which I think also just kind of is so great and so refreshing when it comes to listening to, the score of a film what were the conversations that you had with Paul with regards to you know what he was looking for and what because you know the music on the Paddington films is really interesting you know in terms mm. of how he constructed that with the use of existing bands and music sometimes and things like that but but in terms of with this and with how you know even instrumentation and things like that what were the conversations that you and Paul had as I say I inherited in a form which had 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 made a bit of a move in that direction and the direction we were going to end up with as regards to like the um, choice of instruments. Mm. And then there was some temp on there, which kind of gave me a bit of a steer as well. But it was a bit confusing. It was a bit sort of everything. So what I did when I started to deliver the demos for the um, for the score, I just did them on the piano. So it was like a sort of silent, had a sort of silent movie kind of vibe going on. Lovely. Because I didn't want to get too bogged down in like choices of instrumentation at an early stage. It was like, mm -hmm. let's get the structure of it down and take it from there. And then once that had all been sort of approved, we could start we could start to build. And I worked with my longtime collaborator, Jeremy Holland Smith, on the whole process. And he's he's brilliant. He's a brilliant composer in his own right and he's a wonderful arranger, but also he knows, he knows all the best musicians in London and he knows, uh, you know, he knows how to put together a team to kind of be able to deliver whatever they need mm. so we work with this wonderful guy dave foster on the big band arrangements big band arranging is like a 
very specific skill like if you really? never, if, if you don't know that world yeah like how do you voice how do you voice those saxophones to sit with the the horns and what's the choice of mutes and stuff to to get that sound you know i could have spent years trying to work it out whereas you know dave's just like oh you want that and shoop, goes on the page and <laughs> sounds great so we had that kind of big world world for the kind of opulent world of the gallery gourmet and and slugworth and the other baddies you know who are sort of yeah. impeccably dressed and they always pouring themselves a cocktail in some gorgeous kind of shishi lounge or other well now i can see that you're a man of integrity thank you but ask yourself this have you got a sweet tooth i do a hunger that you have to feed have you got a sweet tooth I do. Well, we've got everything you need. Don't give me that conscience nonsense. It's simply quid pro quo. So, a hundred of your favourites. Sorry, I'm afraid it's no. And then we have the more sort of um, kind of pots and pans and honky tonk piano musical saw world of Scrub It and Bleacher. Then we have a sort of jug band kind of folky world for Willie himself with this sort of threadbare chic so cymbaloms and dulcimers and mandolins and banjos And then the main kind of, you know, meat and drink of the score, which is, yeah, great big orchestra with choir and, um, you know, as many musicians as you could possibly fit in the biggest studios in London. Which I was lucky enough to watch. I mean, that I day, that day was amazing. And it was the scene where specifically, I mean, it wasn't, it, that's the thing as well, even for like those couple of hours that I was there of how little, it was such a small section of the film mm. that was being worked on at that moment. It was the scene where the, with the giraffe is is oh, yeah. kind of causing havoc, yes. and um, and so you know it's there's, there's, it's quite heavy musically as well, yeah. you know, in terms of what's going on there. But it was amazing to kind of I think when I first came in, it was kind of everybody played, and then it was about kind of singling out all the different kind of sections, and it was so amazing just to hear all those individual kind of collection of musicians, you know, the violins, the violas, yeah. and the horns, and and but it was a great when people weren't working it's so great to kind of someone needs to write a sitcom about an orchestra because when they kind of like are not on they're kind yeah. of like the kindles are out or yeah. it's just it's you so can tell a lot like someone will be it's... doing the crosswords somebody will be doing the pools somebody will be reading war and peace you know, yeah. like, you, know you know you couldn't you couldn't guess which one was going to be which you know who's going to be reading the beano who's going to be reading war and peace you know it was from that balcony, it was amazing just kind of looking down and going, oh, yes, he's got his Kindle, he's got the paper yeah. out. It was like, it was really, but that, it was such a luxury to get to kind of see the craft of all those. Oh. And amazing to hear you as well in terms of the specificity of what you're looking for and how you can kind of hear just the tiniest speed, volume, precision on a note. It's unbelievable to watch. Well, thanks. Thank you. 
so nice that you were able to come and i'm surprised you don't get to do that more often where well, you can you know there's open invitation you can always swing by when i'm doing something it is a, it's a i am thing. writing you... that down now <laughs> <laughs> well i mean apart from anything else we are in london and and britain generally just blessed with just a ridiculous high standard of musicianship in these players i mean i would say london of all the places to score in the whole world is probably has the richest the strength and depth the most incredible players you've got it's not something that it's something we should be so proud of but you know it just gets sort of overlooked you know you try recording try doing that score in 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 you know prague or something and see how far you get it's like we just got anybody and everybody incredible players coming in and just you know they just walking off the street with their carry rags but they you know put them to get the image about the place and then you realize that you're in the you're in the you know you're just basking in the glow from the consummate geniuses. Because um, some of the time they've never seen the music before, isn't it? No, Sometimes most of the like... time they've never seen it or heard it. And they just, yeah, yeah. And they get one go, like basically one go to just like, and that would be fine. We've got to move some mics around and then a second go and that's it. And then with this one, as you say, we would then record all the individual elements separately. And partly that was because we wanted to have real control over the acoustics so we could match it to the the song kind of world which was mm-hmm. you know the song stuff we started out with like a little combo a little band you know drums bass guitar keyboards and then kind of built a sort of nexus a sort of pit band size thing around it with the orchestra around that so if the orchestra sounds like it's recorded in you know like you know outer space and the band sounds as recorded in the living room you're gonna you're gonna be in trouble so we needed to be able to be close on everything and have real control over over you know how we wanted to things put things in the surround and whatnot And also the fact is the film was still not finished when we were when we were recording. I mean, that's not wow. unusual. But in this instance, there was still some some parts of the film, particularly which were going through like daily changes. And in order for our team of um, long suffering music editors to be able to kind of keep taking it apart and stitching it back together again to, to fit the ever changing picture, we needed to have absolute control and all the different sort of elements. If we'd mm. have done it in an old fashioned way, just like a decatree up in a big room and everybody playing together. We would have had to go back and done it all over again. Simple as that. Wow. Were had they filmed much then when you, you know, when you came on board? Because I, I wondered because also just those the amazing cast that's been brought together for this as well, and how the you know everything just fits so great. Like you mentioned, kind of you know Olivia and Tom's characters and how yeah. they're that, the music around around them. So it just so fits their performance as well. Yeah, it, that was an interesting bit. Every so often when you're scoring a movie, you, you you put something against the picture that suddenly like works in a way you weren't expecting. And when I started putting the the music that was like either like directly quoting from Neil Scrub Scrub song or me writing kind of around it with that kind of um like candor and ebb idea in mind, it suddenly made them so much more likable. <laughs> it was weird. Like they were like when they play, they, you know, on their own with just silence, they played really kind of starkly and I felt a little bit too grotesque, a little bit too scary for my taste anyway. Yeah. And then as soon as you start putting this buddy, doody, 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 boom, cha, cha, boom, cha, I don't know quite what it is because. Soften you know, them up a bit. 
it's it did well, it made them more it made you like it made you sort of get them more so when they're being horrible you're like yeah yeah but you know i know this this person because fundamentally <laughs> they're okay really you know i mean yeah, yeah. okay so they try to enslave uh, children to uh, to work for them which is obviously not great but you know they're not all bad is what i'm saying it's good in there somewhere yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. deeply buried but <laughs> We're about to run out of time, but um, I haven't even a chance to talk about any of the the the, the Garth stuff as well, which is just a a fantastic relationship that you oh, guys thanks. have got, and something yeah. that I really hope continues for for a very long time. Yeah, I don't know what he's too. I don't know what he's doing next, but it'll probably be fabulous. Um, it, yeah, I, it will be fabulous. I I have an idea what he's doing next, and I'm sworn to secrecy, but okay, I'll tell you this much. It's but you're doing fabulous. It? Oh yeah, oh yeah! I'm yes! not letting that guy out my out my sight. Are you? Yeah, you're great. Please, can we? I, I, I'm going to make sure I email them and ask them. Say that you haven't spilled any beans, but when it does come to fruition, that we can have the two of you together to oh, talk, and we great. can talk about all those amazing um, productions that you've worked on. But um, Wonka is just something very, very special. Where, as I said to the um, the guys at the press conference that I did the other day, it's it's just the gift that the world needs right now. Um, oh. It's just the best kind of Best Christmas present, early Christmas present ever. So oh, congratulations. Good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you think so. I'm very, very proud of it. And um yeah, I was, I was happy that you were able to be there for a, a very important part of it. Those giraffe, that's well, that giraffe. Yeah. Which is and you're yeah. Rowan Atkinson like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um well feel very honest. A lovely memory I'll have for the rest of my life being there. So yeah. Great. Um it's great to chat to you. And I Likewise. hope we get to do it again soon. Me too. Well, you know where I am. Thanks, Joe. Take, take care. Bye, lovely. See you later. Bye. 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 to Wonka, that was the Oompa Loompa to the rescue. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Joby Talbot, Paul King and Neil Hannan. My huge thanks to all three of them for taking the time to talk to us. Wonka is on general release now and it really does merit a trip to the cinema to see in all its glory. I've already seen it twice. I cannot wait to get back for my hat trick. Head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all our chats about film music and please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so as not to miss any future episodes. We also have a YouTube channel which we'd appreciate you following too. We are currently sticking up every episode that we put out that we have visuals for on that channel so go and check it out. Next up, the great guests just keep on coming. Uh, before the end of the year, we are going to be joined by Taika Waititi, Michael Mann, but next week we are joined by Bradley Cooper and Katie Mulligan to discuss Maestro. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>